Hello and welcome to the Behind the Headlines podcast, brought to you by Bristol's independent media, Bristol 24-7. My name is Betty Woolerton and each week we bring you compelling and fascinating conversations from people all over our amazing city, delving behind the headlines of Bristol's news, culture and more. A vital part of transitioning towards net zero is decarbonizing energy production. Despite renewable energies being more expensive when they first started to develop, they are becoming more affordable over time, even reaching lower prices per unit when compared to fossil fuel energies. Wind power generates about 25% of UK electricity, and surprisingly, the country is one of the best locations for this kind of energy in the world. However, there is a ban on onshore wind farms in the country, which is currently being discussed as to being lifted by the government. Bristol is an especially interesting case in terms of wind energy. Last year, the Ambition Lawrence Western Charity met their funding target to build a community-owned wind turbine. Said turbine will generate power for up to 3,000 homes. Dr. Hannah Bloomfield is a research scientist at the University of Bristol, working on various climate impacts. She has spent the last eight years studying the impacts of climate variability and climate change on national-level power systems. She specializes in modeling UK and European electricity demand and renewable generation. We discussed the potential leaf on the onshore wind farms in the UK, as well as Bristol wind power potential and the upcoming challenges related to the energy crisis. As many people might not know this, the UK is one of the best locations in Europe for wind energy production, basically. So, would you tell me a little bit more about that? How's the energy crisis looking in terms of alternative energies? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. The UK is a fantastic place to build wind turbines. So... We sit at the end of a jet stream, so we get a lot of storms and a lot of bad weather in the winter, but that actually is great news for wind. Um, So all through the North Sea and the Irish Sea, basically all of our coasts are great regions to build wind farms. And not just Europe, actually, we're one of the best places in the world that you can put a wind turbine, so there's so much interest in that. And in terms of our energy crisis... We're struggling a lot at the moment to secure our oil and gas reserves with the war with Ukraine. Um, But wind is a fantastic option because it's free, you know, and we live in a place that is very windy. So um, over this winter, everyone will be crossing their fingers for a lot of storms, things we don't normally want. Um, But yeah, no, lots of storms and lots of wind power um, will really help us out because it will reduce our reliance on needing all this gas. Yeah, so I think it's a little bit, I don't know, complicated to understand if we have this opportunity to get so much wind and we're one of the best locations, why is there a ban for onshore wind farms? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the Conservative Party brought in a ban on offshore wind um, a few years ago now and There are multiple reasons within the party, but the main one that gets talked about is these kind of um, not-in-my-backyard campaigns. So um, wind farms are quite big, right? They stand around 50 metres tall onshore, and they have very large blades. And 
some of them can be a little bit noisy when you're near them and a lot of people aren't particularly happy about them um, masking areas of natural beauty or being too close to their houses. Um, I think general public opinion has changed a lot since then and actually local communities are really seeing, particularly after this energy crisis, that, do you know what, onshore winds could be really beneficial to us. Um, there's actually a local Bristol project um, in one of the um, lowest income regions of Bristol that have just secured funding to build their own wind farm, um, which would power 3,000 homes. Um, so there's talk that the ban could be lifted soon, and just that I think the rules would be, if local communities are in support of a project, um, then yeah, all systems go, let's go for it. And I think that would be hugely beneficial given, you know, what a great resource we have. Definitely. And do you think that people's awareness of climate change has played a role in this, like, change of mindset around wind energy? Yeah, I think so. We're all so much more aware of climate change than we were 10 years ago. You know, you see in the news these horrible extreme events going on all around the world, like droughts and floods. And I think everyone wants to help right where we can. And renewable energy is a way that rich countries like the UK really can um, start to help because we don't need to be using all this oil and gas that we are. We have the resource and we really can um, use that as a way to decarbonize our power systems. Yeah, in that sense, when you mentioned like rich countries, mm -hmm. I was thinking about sometimes people think that alternative energies are more costly than the regular energies, fossil fuel energies. So is it true or is it just a myth? That's a great question. And there was recently a really, really big report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and Thousands of scientists contribute to this, but there's a really nice graph in there that shows that actually onshore and offshore wind and solar power are now cheaper per unit energy to build than these big fossil systems. So um, they require a bit more like grid management because it's not always windy and it's not always sunny, but they're very cost effective. So if you live in a developing country that you know it's always beautifully sunny, you know, solar or, or wind, if it's windy, is a fantastic option, and they're not too expensive anymore. Yeah, I think that's the good news here, right? Yeah. Uh, so when you mention these, like, changes of the climate, I think we can jump right in about your research. Mm. So would you like to tell us a bit more? Yeah, sure. So some of the work I'm doing at the moment in Bristol in accommodation with my colleagues Rachel James um, and Josh Giddings is we're thinking about um, how climate change might affect the future of wind energy. Um, so we know that with climate change we get a lot more extreme events, so the um, temperatures are rising, so we're probably going to get a lot more heat waves, Like we know that. But for some things like wind power, the response of winds to climate change is quite uncertain, you know. So it's always about where these, I mentioned these jet streams earlier, it's about where they might move. And climate models um, find this more difficult to model than just the um, increases in temperature. So we've got a project thinking about um, the current wind farms around the UK and ones that might get built in the future. And we're thinking about, you know, what might happen to that wind resource for them uh, as, an as a consequence of climate change. Um, so there'll be no bad news, you know, even if maybe um, 
the wind farms might be slightly less productive. That's not at all a problem for offshore wind. just means it's something we can plan for. Um, and we can think about where to build future wind turbines um, to maximise this um, kind of co-benefits with climate change. When you, when you mention about like there's no bad news, but I was thinking, is there like an impact that this summer and the heat waves had in the energy production, like overall energy production? Hmm. So a lot of the impacts of the heat waves were around kind of infrastructure. Um, so if anyone tried to get on a train during the heat wave, we all had a lot of problems, right? Because um, our our networks for the rail system, telecommunications and energy, they're all quite old, right? We developed our grids in, say, the 1960s and a lot of that infrastructure is still there today. And, yeah, it's old and it's not used to these kind of temperatures. It wasn't built to have it. So a lot of the issues come around infrastructure. But we also have the thing that generally, when we have heat waves, it's because we have these big areas of stationary high pressure, the weather forecaster will always talk about that, um, and it's not very windy when that happens. So, you know, generally in the heat waves in the summer, we all went out and bought a fan because we were baking, so we're using a bit more electricity, right? Um, but it's not windy, really, when that's happening. So. There's some new challenges for the national grid in that sense about thinking about how our behaviour might change with these new extremes and what energy we've got available to help them. Yeah, definitely. And in the case of Bristol, how does Bristol sit with this wind revolution, if you can call it that way? Yeah, so I think Bristol is very well placed. So to start with, Bristol's doing amazing things. Like you walk around the town, you can see that um, they have the heat decarbonisation strategy. So there's a big push in Bristol to um, make transport and heating a lot greener. There's big profiles um, for that. So that means if we're not using as much gas anymore, we will be using a lot of electricity. So for Bristol, They'll be really interested, right, in where, where this um, clean electricity is coming from. And a lot of it will be from wind. Um, so, yeah, all around the coastal regions here, we all know if we go to the beach, it is quite windy, right? And lots of offshore wind projects that are getting planned um, will be really relevant. I think particularly stuff that gets built in the Celtic Sea will get interconnected and probably be used a lot by Bristol. So, just... Lots of exciting wind stuff that would be relevant, I think. That's hopeful. Yeah, so in terms of the UK and your research, of course, what are the upcoming challenges to adapt our already like, yeah. used wind systems? Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge for high wind systems is these times of prolonged low wind. Um, so we kind of call them wind droughts. Um, so it's a new kind of extreme, right? We're used to thinking about droughts like um, hydrological ones where we just don't get enough water. But a drought in wind can be really important if you have a high renewable system. So we had one in the summer of 2021 and, you know, we were fine. Um, but it was we had the lowest wind year in the last uh, 60 years, the meteorologist said. And so these kind of events are a challenge. And we need to think about our options. So there are good options. Um, there are interconnectors. So the UK is connected to Ireland, to France, to the Netherlands, and to Norway now. So we've got 
all these different countries that can help provide power if we if we don't quite have enough. There's also storage, which is really exciting. So at times when it is really windy, um, we now have facilities, excuse me, where we can fill up um, massive batteries, like cargo container-sized batteries with energy, and then release it at times when we need it. So this is really exciting. You can also use solar panels to do this as well. So. Um, the engineers and the meteorologists, like everyone's working hard at these problems. So I think that's the biggest challenge, but we're getting there with the solutions. And yeah, of course, I can see how research is moving towards that. But do you think there's an all enough political will in the UK? I really like the recent um, comment that we we will hopefully reverse this ban on offshore on onshore wind. Sorry, and the UK. The UK is really pushing building offshore wind. So there's, pla there's the plan. I think there was a comment in the news last year that um, from Boris Johnson that the UK will become the Saudi Arabia of wind power because they have, I know, because they have all the oil, we're going to have all the wind. So it's politically building wind at the moment, I think, is good because it's we, we're a world leader and it's, it's almost like a status symbol. So it's fantastic that the government are on board with that and hopefully soon we'll be on board with Onshore too. We just need to make sure they're on board with the full net zero package because we need to improve our grid infrastructure. Um, we need to make sure we've got these things like the storage and the good relationships with the other countries with the interconnectors. You know, we can't just build wind. You know, it's 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 more interconnected problem than that. Yeah, definitely. And are there any other countries in Europe that are also pushing towards uh, wind energy as much as the UK is doing it? Yeah. So I think loads of countries in Europe are pushing for wind energy. So Germany, Spain and Portugal already have quite a lot and will be continuing to build this. I think um, some of the northern European countries as well, so they've been more traditionally reliant on hydropower, because like Norway, Sweden and Finland, it's really wet, so um, hydropower is a great option for them. But everyone's diversifying their portfolios and looking at looking at their options. So. Yeah, across the whole of Europe, wind's going to be a big thing. Yeah, now that you mentioned uh, the diversifying, mm, do you think the future of energy in the UK is more towards diversifying, like not relying only one form of energy producing? Yeah, I personally think that's a good way to go, um, to have multiple options um, so that when we get these bad events, We've got we've got different options. So, so when it isn't windy, it's okay. We've got solar power, we've got hydropower, we've got biomass and stored energy. To me, I think that seems very sensible. The other thing I think it's good to push is this like uh, human behaviour response. So some enemy energy companies now, like Octopus Energy, are doing trials where at times where demand's particularly high. They'll give you money back if you can cut down your energy usage. Mm. Um, so I took part in one of those and was so happy when I got like two pounds back <laughs> for sitting in the dark. Um, but, you know, these aren't, not everyone can do this, right? If you've got to feed your kids or you've got things going on. But I think if people 
can think about ways to adapt their behaviour and we all use a lot of energy and sometimes I think we don't need to do everything we're doing. We just get a bit lazy, right? We leave the lights on, we leave the TV on, wander around the house. You know, we can all help as well to make sure that the grid don't have to provide us quite so much. Yeah, and in the in that in that sense, do you have any other tips for energy saving? Like right now? Yeah, so in your home it's really cold this winter, right? And I think like if if you're able to, any little efficiency improvements you can make are really important. So um, all of the energy company websites provide loads of good advice on things like this. But just, just simple tips like making sure your windows are all properly locked and shut and making sure that if you're not using something that you turn it off straight away like every little really does help when energy costs are so expensive yeah definitely and lastly as for the future um and seeing what happened at cop 27 mm. what's going to happen internationally because i feel like yeah the uk is pushing for more alternative energies but if the rest of the world is not on board then what's the use right yeah no it's it's a great point and i think a lot of the talk at this COP was about like loss and damage funds and because climate change is already happening and already countries are struggling. For me, the future is countries who already used a load of carbon and had all these emissions for us, like the UK, to step up and be like, Do you know what, we're not only going to sort out our energy system, we're going to help others to do their own, you know, because we, we all deserve the same rights to clean food, water, energy. Um, so for me, I hope the future is more international collaboration and like all of us just, you know, taking responsibility for what we've done. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Bristol 24-7 Behind the Headlines podcast. I've been Betty Woolerton. And if you do want to support independent journalism in Bristol, please do consider becoming a member for just £5 a month or £45 a year by heading to our website, which is bristol247.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.